to me, the X-Men became about, it was actually about adults versus children. Because I felt that the whole thrust of the X-Men was actually about the generational thing, that people dislike their children because new ways of looking at things and adults kind of don't like that because it's threatening to them. So I saw the X-Men as being about that and basically that's where we took it in that direction. Basically about the war between adults and youth. I don't know. Don't look at me. I'm looking at you. You got yourself into that. <laughs> I'm looking at you for validation, Stan. <laughs> Welcome to E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men, and we are your hosts. I'm Perry. Uh, this is Pat. Hey there. Hey, and uh, today, uh, Oscar, unfortunately, was not able to join us. He's uh, on the way back home and uh, just was not able to get here on time, but hopefully he'll be back for the next episode. Uh, so it's just Pat and I going solo today. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you doing, Pat? I'm good. I'm... Uh... As it may not be a surprise to uh, Perry and our listeners, but I'm quite looking forward to talking about this particular story arc. Yeah, so uh, we're uh, jumping right into it. Uh, this is uh, New X-Men, number 139 to 141. This is the Murder at the Mansion story arc. Uh, and it's been a while since we've had one of these three-issue arcs here, but this is a mm-hmm. pretty significant one. Um, so the creators we got here on... Uh, 139, Grant Morrison, as always. Uh, Phil Jimenez is uh, the fill-in for all these issues. Um, Andy Lanning is doing the inks. Dave McCaig is the colorist. Chris Eliopoulos is the letterer. Mike Martz is the editor. Joe Casada is editor-in-chief. Um, uh, mostly the same on 140, except Chick, uh, Chris Chukri is the, is the colorist on that one. And... 141. Um, Mike Rake is the is the only change as editor, and Chris Chuckery is again the colorist. But all the other credits are the same as 139. All right, so let's dive into it. Murder at the Mansion. This has been, you know, what I realized going back and rereading this story, mm-hmm. and my memory of the Scott and Emma affair is mm-hmm. actually a lot longer than it actually occurred in the actual issues because it was only it only really happened basically in one issue before this and that's the big some angels falling issue other than that it's just lightly mentioned in mm-hmm. like in, in another in another issue when um murder in the mansion when he's uh when him and scott when him and emma are sharing this one brief panel and there's this one brief panel of them sharing a psychic affair thought but other than that, it did not. Ha- it wasn't a big focus of these issues, and that kind of surprised me in retrospect because it's such a foundational. It's such a foundational aspect of the care of their characters in, in this run. Yeah, although I think you there's hints, like particularly from the last story arc, where it's been happening throughout right. ever since that issue. Um, I mean, by, by that issue, I mean that the some angels are falling issue. And I think maybe 
that may have been the more, more a choice Morrison made to sort of emphasize how you know, it's supposed to be a secret. No one really knows that much about it. And so not a lot of screen time, panel time has been devoted to it. I mean, but you're right. We don't really see a lot of it on panel, but it seems to be hinted at that it's oh, yeah. been going on like throughout. And I, I don't recall it being that particular plot thread showing up in other X titles at the time either. I don't Although think I could so. Be mistaken. No. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I don't think it appeared anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. Which I think is it, it does two things. One, it's a testament to Morrison's skill as a writer that they're able to make you feel like you've been reading a lot about this story arc when really you haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, but just that li those little mentions are just enough to remind us. Oh yeah, this thing's happening. Uh, and so then when we get here, we feel like there's been a whole big lead up to mm -hmm. this confrontation uh, when really there hasn't been. So I thought that was a really interesting trick that, that Morrison did with, uh, with the foreshadowing on this and just how effective they were with that. And also the other thing it does is it, it's a way of playing with our expectations. And this goes back to the interviews Morrison had done you know, early on in the book's run or even before in the lead up to the book's debut, mm -hmm. when they were talking about playing up some of the, some of the interpersonal dynamics, like the whole Gene and Logan thing was a big thing that was mentioned. And I think I may be misremembering, but I think Morrison hinted at something going on between Scott and Emma eventually, but did not come right out and say it because it was something that I remember expecting to happen. So I think there was some mention of it in interviews, but looking back on it, the, that was the expectation. And then what we get is different from the way we expected it to be handled. It's different from the way that it was usually handled. Like if you compare this, especially to uh, Chuck Austin, who also talked about playing up the soap opera aspects and, and his run was basically passions <laughs> with, with costumes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think also, we can't discount that we're reading it this like you know years later and i think there's been a lot of ink spilled and internet typing spent like discussing this like I, so i feel like that makes that build up a lot bigger in our heads than mm -hmm. it actually was um and as far as expectations I, you're right like I, I think going into this issue when it was first coming out I, I mean, a lot of people just sort of had this feeling of, well, what is the, how is this going to shake out? I mean, clearly, as much as we love Emma, like there's no, like she, she can't stand toe to toe with Jean um, in the particular state of mind that she's in. Um, so how, how are you going to fill this issue? How is this conflict going to play out? And it's really interesting that it becomes like this kind of introspective, very, deep dive into Emma's character and I think Jean's too to some degree mm -hmm. and so like you do get to see Jean sort of express her rage and her powers but it doesn't turn out I think the way that we were all expecting. I think so too. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the cover because talking about expectations I think this cover mm -hmm. actually also plays with expectations a lot of ways so mm -hmm. this is one of the this is one of the best covers of the of the run, I thought, where uh, Jimenez has Emma and Jean just kind of like posing, but in their, Emma's in her White Queen costume from the Hellfire Club and Jean's in her Dark Phoenix costume. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think about this cover? Uh, it, I think it's well-crafted, well-drawn, and I really like how it leans in on sort of that storyline being an inflection point for what's going on with them and the issue. So, you know, everybody's still worried about Jean and what's going on with her. And then it also serves as this, I, I think, really a, an origin story for Emma, although mm-hmm. she's been around for a long, long time. And um, <laughs> um, you, I might before be- this issue comes out, but I, this is sort of like, I feel like the first. Or, I mean, no, let me walk that back. I think there's been, I, in issues of Generation X, we sort of see some hints of her origin story, but right. it's always been sort of given with this hint, like this intimation of, like, she's not telling the truth. Like, she's mm-hmm. giving the smokescreen to her students as, as in a way to not be vulnerable. But I think it's this issue that firmly establishes some key um, key foundational things about her characters that have stuck and did did this come you you know probably would know better than i did but i remember there was that emma frost uh limited series or it was an ongoing that was canceled that mm-hmm. didn't come out did that come out before or after this do you remember it it came out after this and okay. they were really exploiting a lot of the plot threads that have been established in this issue and so the first arc of that series is actually you see the events that lead up to that scene here in the drawing room where mm-hmm. Jean was, you know, noticing, oh, your mother's on drugs, your brother is hyped up on antipsychotics. Um, so the first arc of that is kind of showing you the events that lead up to that scene. Okay, because I remember reading this last night and wondering um, how much of this was Morrison, how much of it was stuff that was pulled from uh from that series or how much of it was pulled from existing x-men lore and morrison does pull a few continuity deep cuts in here like mm-hmm. they mentioned uh you know the siblings you have cordelia and adrian who if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken were both originated in generation x indeed yeah so cordelia showed up uh although i don't recall her doing anything of much interest, but Adrienne was a key player, particularly mm-hmm. near the end of Generation X. Um, I mean, she she killed Cinch. So that was right. a, a big thing she did and blew up the, the, the school, mm-hmm. the Massachusetts Academy, I mean. So yeah, um, it's a nice way to bring those characters in here and play with the existing lore. Um, what about Christian? Them. Did Christian appear before this or no? Because I, I, I feel like he did, but I can't remember quite. No, this is the first time we okay. see Christian. And then the second time is in that uh, series, solo series that she had. Mm-hmm. And then he, he was in limbo for a long time um, until the Iceman series. Oh, during okay. That era we dare not speak of a lot. Um, and of course, Doug, Jerry Duggan sort of brought him out and is now like a big player in the current status quo okay i, I like that era i liked i liked x-men gold i thought that was a fun mm. it was a it was a nice throwback series I thought. well well after this maybe we'll do a whole podcast about that and then <laughs> maybe yeah be explosive anyway uh but anyway about this cover one of the things that really strikes me on it is that we have this expectation going in of and i think i think um i'm not sure if jimenez got you know, any sort of guidance from Morrison on what to do with mm-hmm. the cover, or if this was all Jimenez's idea. Um, if either one of you want to come on the show and, you know, talk about it, we'd love <laughs> to have you on, just, you know, let throwing it out there. But 
my whoever whatever the original idea for this cover was i think it's cool and how it plays with the expectations that we have of how these characters are going to react in this situation because Mm -hmm. with emma it's the expectation that also kind of like gene mentions in their confrontation that she's just here to stir up trouble right she's just playing Mm -hmm. the villain role in all this Mm-hmm. And we see Jean, because both of the, them, these costumes represent the darkest sides that both of these characters have been in. Mm-hmm. And with Jean, you know, we get the expectation, especially with that cliffhanger at the end of um, Riot at Xavier's, with her just walking in on them. We get the, and the, the title of the arc, Murder at the Mansion. Mansion, right? yeah. They're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, Jean's about to kill, cut a bitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And so we think like she's going to go all dark Phoenix because of this. And mm-hmm. that's not what happens, right? In fact, we find out here, and one of the most, probably the most surprising thing at all in this issue is that Emma is not having this psychic affair with Scott just to cause trouble. She's, mm-hmm. She actually loves him. She's actually, she actually cares about him. And that's, that was, I'm being really surprised when I saw, when I saw that line, when she's talking to Logan and she says, you know, why did I have to fall in love with Scott bloody summers? I'm like, Oh, okay. There's, that's not what I expected to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, much to her surprise. And I think very, very deep irritation. Um, but, and I also like this cover, like the, the looks that they're throwing each other. Mm-hmm. It's such a subtle touch from Humanus, but very well done um and i really like how it's logan that she confesses it to i mm-hmm. feel like that's very appropriate given um of course given like how she feels about gene and sort of that earlier installment in the run where he rebuffs gene's advances and mm-hmm. it's very appropriate that he she has that scene with him and also that he acknowledges he's like you know what nice try though you know good on yeah you. like <laughs> i i know i know what I, I know how it feels I, I know what that's like so yeah um but in a way i think gene still got to have her dark phoenix moment right like making emma confront the truth or some of those traumas or some of the things that she's repressed true um, but it's not in the way we expect right, right like it, it wasn't that, yeah that and that's what that's what I'm getting at here is like we expected mm-hmm. her to like because the last time they had a confrontation like this, which Emma references, is yep. you know she ended up getting her mind fried, and mm-hmm. so we expected you know something similar happening here, but it doesn't. Jean just kind of takes a walk through Emma's memories, just kind of forces her to confront the things that she's done, but it's not as it's not as I don't want to say it's not as dramatic because it is, but it's not as dramatic in the way we expected it to be. Yeah, I mean, it was still very dramatic, yeah. but I, and I would also say like, it's far more satisfying, I think, than had it been just a sort of simple superhero brawl, right? Oh, I because think so too, yeah. The, the trauma, or not the trauma, like the encounter forces both of them to realize things that they wouldn't accept. Mm-hmm. Like, so... Emma's forced to grapple with her past. And I mean, to a lesser extent, I think Emma still managed to get in some hints, hits in there, particularly when she's like, like, is still there? Are you still in there, Gene? Or are you just mm-hmm. like a big cosmic force of destruction? Now, like, you know, when she says, it, do you even know what human feelings are like? 
And I like this, you know, this splash page when mm-hmm. Gene manifests the Phoenix here. First mm-hmm. off, you know, Jimenez's art is gorgeous here. The way that he draws the hair kind of flowing into the Firebird, but also mm-hmm. McCaig's coloring work is really good here. There's almost like kind of like a painterly-esque approach to the way he's doing the fire here. I really like that. Yeah, and the, the lighting on that page. The is lighting is great, superb. too. Superb. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and kudos to Jimenez for giving Emma that sort of Andy Warhol self-portrait. It, I like that, too. Yeah, that's such a nice... <laughs> she would absolutely have that, and she does. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Let's... I also just, uh, so we get a little bit of the introduction here and we find out, because there's been this kind of running gag about Emma mm-hmm. having plastic surgery. And here it looks mm-hmm. like, oh, she actually did have plastic surgery. It's not just something that is a joke being made. I thought that was uh, that was kind of a, that was kind of an interesting choice. I, I absolutely love that moment because it, it works to me in so many levels. So like it gives Emma some, like it, it allows her character to develop and while also being a commentary, I feel like on, because this is coming out either at the tail end or when sort of the that trend of like the image comics, like bad girls with the ridiculously like thin waist and absolutely ginormous dimensions like so i think that sort of that trend was dying out when this issue I, yeah because that was bad yeah. that was really kind of like a early mid 90s mid 90s yeah it's like mid 90s i think is what really when it kind of peaked when you had like witchblade and all that stuff coming out mm-hmm. 90 95 96 so like I, and i think a lot of people back then and people now still kind of lump emma with that sort of type of comic book character but this scene to me kind of like showcases or highlights like i mean that's those are artificial standards and you Mm -hmm. can't really have them without augmentation or like doing things to yourself so it's such a nice way to comment on that and that perception of the character like and it's also interesting that like she acknowledges that like Mm -hmm. this is self-cultivated it's self-made like i didn't come out this way like i had to work on it consciously (laughs) And some more deep cuts with the the um, the um, the rebellion against the old Hellfire Club leadership, too, mm-hmm. uh, which which was not I don't believe was ever published in any mainstream comic because I think it was actually um, in a backup to one of those X Men classic issues where um, we also see like one of those earlier not as flashy Hellfire Galas. so. Mm-hmm kudos to Morrison for that deep cut but yeah that's something that I think is really interesting about this issue is I remember a lot of hardcore X fans at the time were mm-hmm. one of the common criticisms of Morrison was oh they don't really know about continuity they haven't really done their homework I mean all the deep cuts Morrison pulls out here proves that they did their homework they knew what they were talking about well yeah and maybe Maybe he's just not deploying them in a way that they would prefer, but I exactly think he knows his stuff. I think definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this panel here with all the splash page with all the dead students, including including Sink there, like you mentioned. Yep, and the Hellions. And the Hellions. Um, yep. And I also like how Jimenez depicted the uh, the Hong Kong scene because he really, you know, tried to capture the same panels the way that uh, Lino you drew them. So yep. 
like it's like you'd be forgiven if you're reading this comic and you're and you're thinking like oh they must have just you know redone the panels here just you know copy them over copy and pasted them over or something uh, but mm -hmm. it is Jimenez's style after use and I think that's a really nice touch mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about the the revelation of what actually happened here in Hong Kong um well I mean yeah we went into this sort of saying how uh, it sort of goes against and I think that's another example of that like I, I it's been so long since that issue came out that I think people have sort of built up or assumed what happened. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's an interesting direction um, that Morrison goes in. And I think it also highlights maybe where Scott and Jean's relationship is right now, that yeah. it seems like the, he's not at a place where he can have this kind of discussion with his wife. Yeah. And it, sort of, yeah. And it also, because I read this, differently the first time because uh, mm -hmm. the whole the whole celibacy thing it's gene or nothing I thought that's a weird way of phrasing that but <laughs> <clears throat> now I realize in retrospect oh he means they weren't having him and gene were not having sex is what he's saying there right right I also like the note about how um, Logan and Domino are making farmyard noises together <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah, and I, I really like, uh, it's amazing how Morrison manages to establish so much depth to Emma's character in so few panels. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as much as with a lot of things from this run, there's aspects of that that are still being exploited and developed today. Mm -hmm. And I do like the fact that she says, because this expectation of, you've been possessed by an evil spirit. So you're going to have all these, like the, the, the whole, the biggest issue he has is, you know, I'm having concerns about my marriage. And I don't know how to talk about it because it's not a superhero thing. It's not a superhero situation. Yeah. Um, or, or, I mean, it, it is a superhero situation, but. But not in the way that we'd expect it to. Again, that idea of playing yes. with the expectations and and his reaction to it is not the expected like this is not how superhero will right. react to the situation and uh your favorite panel in this issue here yes it's such a lovely callback to oh dear lord which, not the search oh, for, not cyclops the for cyclops again. again um which i'm sure a lot of people know it's like a mini series where i believe they well, they looked for him while he was possessed by Apocalypse, if, mm. if I recall correctly. Um, which actually was not that bad after. No, it was pretty good. It was, uh, it was all right, actually. <laughs> I mean, out of that era, especially, that was yeah. a, Joseph Harris did that, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. He was coming off his uh, his Bishop solo series, which also was, was pretty good. It was one of the mm -hmm. better things that was coming out at that time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Uh, he had also done uh, the Slingers comic. So if you want a real deep cut, there's one for you, which was also really good and underrated. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I like that Jimenez did not include the soul patch with Logan here in these panels. He, sh he shaved it off. So he shaved it good. off. Yeah. He shaved it off. All good. All good. And then the big reveal of Emma's body being shattered. Um, so I, 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 I don't think it was this podcast, but, uh, the other podcast I'm on, we had an episode about um, 
characters dying and coming back to life. And when this issue came out, I mean, I got it from the comic store, got in my car, was driving home. And I mean, dear listeners, don't do this, but it was a stoplight. I was just flipping through the issues, the issue, seeing what's going on. And I came across this page and I immediately called my friend whom, um, has, has no inkling about what the X-Men is about. And I was quite in the state, like, what did they do? I can't, I, I need to pull over and, and deal with this right now. Um, he was quite taken aback and didn't know what to deal, how to deal with me at that very moment. <laughs> uh, and then we get to um, 140, which we finally get uh, Bishop and Sage coming in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really, I, you know, I feel like we missed out on a Bishop and Sage. Um, Cop detective duo. Yeah, type yeah, of thing. yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like this issue, this issue, and also there was the the beginning of that um, schism arc in Extreme mm-hmm. X Men when they're when they're doing that. I I really kind of like that. This this kind of like you know Bishop and Sage is almost like mutant X Files type of thing. I thought that was a pretty cool idea, and I wish. Yeah. And when we got District X, I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't. Bishop and Sage. It was Bishop and this regular police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we mentioned this earlier in the uh, the nine eleven tr- slash tribute to Genosha issue, Perry, where you said that a lot of the extreme characters have a better showing here than in their own title, and I yeah. think that's also true here of Sage and Bishop. Like, because in extreme, like we talk about her powers, but in that entire run, like it wasn't really made clear to me, like, what is it that she does? No, but, it's, like, it was just, it was just like, I have a computer for a mind. Like, yeah, it, but what, what does is, that mean? Exactly. Yeah. Don't we all have a computer for a mind? I mean, not, uh, not as good as a computer, I guess, but, but here, like you actually see her like, oh, okay. That's what that means. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally like a computer for, okay. I get it. That's cool. That's interesting. I also felt Bishop was was better handled in in these issues as well than he was. I did not like the way Claremont wrote Bishop at all. So I I felt like he just wrote him as very much, very generic, he felt in in Extreme X-Men. Here he feels like he's got a little bit more of a personality. Hmm. Um, And I also, I like that we got to see more of Hank and Emma's friendship, which um, is kind of shown here with, god bless him like sort of trying to put her back together uh, literally um which at this point in the arc uh, seemed like a futile gesture really. mm-hmm. we also get some of the some of the characters from other x-men titles right we have nightcrawler and, and archangel here in the in this big background shot mm-hmm. um nothing else never again we to see them but they do pop up here is, and is that angel i, I want to say that it is but I can't see his wings. Might be Ice. Yeah, I think that's. I'm not sure. I thought that my my reading was that that was supposed to be Archangel. It's hard to tell because again, you know, Amazon completely screwed up comicsology. Mm. Uh, And I love this is one of my favorite depictions of Beast is the way Jimenez draws him, especially in these panels. I thought like he really kind of nailed the look. And I think also the proportions too of his body, I, I think, is very well done. And I also like the, um, and again, there's another continuity reference here, both to Sage and Emma's time in the Hellfire Club today, but also mm-hmm. to the schism arc that we mentioned because he- uh, yep, The first Bishop, time we were here. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was hard to come back to the school after the way Sage and I were treated the last treated. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, and they also reference Onslaught because he says, you know, you were, um, you know, you've been possessed before or also the Shadow King and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, the one thing I will say that kind of grates at, not great might be too strong a word, uh, perhaps a point of contention, like all the characters are, it feels like all the characters are functioning as if like, so Emma goes from being in the Hellfire Club to joining the faculty at the start of Morrison's run. Mm -hmm. But people seem to have just forgotten, like, she's been with Generation X since, yeah. since the early 90s, y'all. Um, she's, she's been part of the thing for, for a long time. Um, which, I mean, I realize, is, I guess it's a, a choice I can forgive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's something that also comes out a few times in, in this in this run as whole, well, not just in this arc, but people seem to I don't think forget is the right word because clearly Morrison remembers because they've made reference to it before. So mm -hmm. but it's just the way that it suits the story. I guess they're I guess they're trying to say that someone like Sage I could understand a little bit more because sure. she wasn't with the X-Men during that time. Yeah she hasn't um, really worked with her in any substance right. capacity. So yeah. But but yeah, Bishop has, you know, he 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 guest starred in Generation X even. So he saw firsthand what mm -hmm. she was like there. So yeah, it it is kind of an odd choice. Although if I recall correctly, near the end of that run, like there was some weird things happening with her that wasn't quite explored. Um mm -hmm. because you know, she killed her sister, and then there was I think that scene in the last issue where and to this day, I, somebody needs to explain what's going on in that scene where she's mm -hmm. like in her bed and she, she seems to be dreaming or something. And she just starts saying Adrienne's name in this sort of very creepy, in the way I read it, almost sexualized way. So mm -hmm. like there's, there's like something weird happening with her near the end of that run that wasn't quite explored, which I don't know, like that may have been an interesting way to maybe bridge from that series to this way of reacting to her if we saw like, oh, like she's reverting to type again or something. But I mean, right. the next time we see her was in Genosha, so. Yeah. Uh, I thought also in, in context of how, what we know about Zorn coming up, I thought mm -hmm. the, what he says here to, to Bishop is really kind of an interesting choice, especially because he's the only one who doesn't use Bishop's first name. Everyone else in this issue is always calling him Lucas. Lucas. But mm -hmm. Zorn is the only one who calls him Bishop. Please be careful with your interrogations mm -hmm. because they might say something about me. Mm -hmm. um, not as and God bless Morrison since I love that they're playing Clue, which is yeah. fantastic. Uh, what do you think of how Jimenez drew Angel? Because I felt like he draws her a little bit too pretty in these issues. Yeah, I feel like... Mm, I agree, but I, I feel like that's consistent with this aesthetic, so I don't really mind it as much. Mm -hmm. um, when did so? I think we first met her with EVS drawing her, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I um, believe so. And I do see what you mean, though. Like she, he draws her very. I'm gonna use the word statuesque. Like I, mm. I feel like when we first meet her. She's very like, 
she's 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 been good like she's, she doesn't have like as sharp of an angles right um, well she's she's curvy here i do like that he he has her he draws her curvy but mm-hmm. she also had like kind of a little pop belly when evs yes. threw her in her earlier that seems completely gone now although i mean I, I guess we can chalk that up i mean she's been in the school True. she's going through the danger room there's calisthenics maybe um perhaps the offering in the uh school's cafeteria is better mm-hmm. than what she was getting at home so i mean i feel like there's enough leeway to make it make sense but i, I you're right like you, you know humanist draws her in his own aesthetic which to me is okay uh and then here's really where i think the the whole gene of it comes with the, when we're talking about the cover of the last issue this is mm-hmm. where this is kind of what i'm thinking about a lot because you know she's she realizes look i shouldn't i should have handled that better <laughs> um yeah and and i i i just love the subtlety of you know like she shows bishop something we're not quite sure what and i think we still don't know what she mm-hmm. shows him um which convinces him utterly of her innocence which i i, I like I mean, I guess he does say at some point, I think later on, that he absorbs all kinds of energy. Even it's, uh, yeah, it's right before this, um, when, right. the, when the cuckoos are talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, I mean, so, but uh, Sophie is, not Sophie, Esme is able to actually play tricks with his right. mind, though, in, at, later on, too. So it just shows that the, the cuckoos just aren't powerful enough. So you think, so my impression first reading this issue was, oh, Gene must have manipulated him in some way. Mm. I don't know if you, if you got had the same thought if you remember when you first read the issue. I mean, I, maybe, but I mean, by the end of it, like I mean, we we find out that she's not innocent, right? I mean, and, she, that she is innocent, actually. Excuse me. Um, yeah, by the end of yeah, it, I, I I realized that I was wrong on that. But the first time I read it, I thought, and I think that's maybe Morrison did that intentionally to to make people think, oh, yeah, Gene did it, just like everyone suspects. Um, but but she's con- she's convinced everyone that she hasn't. Well, I, it does seem odd, though, in this panel where Bishop, who, yeah, like he's been shown to be this very skeptical detective, but he seems in this part, like, quickly accepts her explanation without any, like, yep, she's, it's true. I believe her. She's telling mm-hmm. the truth, um, even though she's a powerful psychic who can possibly be manipulating my brain. Um, what do you think he, she showed him? What, what was so convincing that he was just, yep, she's, I, she's right. She's not lying. I don't know. I think he, I think he kind of sees that as the Phoenix or whatever, she's kind of beyond, I think it's because it, it goes back to something that happened way back in germ pre-generation when, you know, when Logan comes back to the mansion and sees her with mm-hmm. the Phoenix effect. And mm-hmm. she says, I had all these, I had all these, you know, concerns and anxieties about scott and they're all gone now and it's kind of like she's the phoenix has like moving her beyond those kinds of things and i think that's kind of what he sees here maybe maybe she somehow shows him that that kind of stuff it's not really important to her anymore yeah and and i think from the last issue and from other issues before then they make such a big deal of uh, or like making sure to mention like the, what one of the things the phoenix does is it burns away the lies and it burns away all these confabulations and lies that we tell ourselves right 
So it sort of positions Jean as this, like she she doesn't lie. She has no need to lie. Right. And that's and that's kind of what she's doing when she goes into Emma's mind in the last issue. She's trying mm-hmm. to burn away the lies and find out what the truth of this is. Right. And and then when you know Scott comes in and shows her what really happened too, she realizes. Mm-hmm. I think it it's a moment of real it's a moment of clarity for her when she realizes that she has to do the same thing. Yeah, that's the moment when she really truly understands that her marriage to Scott is is over. I think. Mm-hmm. And then we get the scene of Bishop going into um, talking with Redneck. You know what I was I thought when we saw that <laughs> I was like I thought these kids were going to some third world country to help out if I recall correctly the quote was you'll help out until you're bleeding or or some such right but that was after Wasn't they that get the deal that was the deal but after they do time in a human prison oh okay all right gotcha all right so so that will follow from yeah from this okay um then we get the we get into the big revelation here um but. Then we move into the last part of the of the arc. I love this cover. This is one of this is one of the this is one of my favorite Bishop <clears throat> drawings ever. With the modeling after the first Terminator movie, mm-hmm. I just love this look. Um, and you're right, and I did not realize that before you mentioned it, but you are <clears throat> absolutely correct. Um, and and I think that sort of evokes that kind of cop show dynamic that you were talking about earlier. It does, and also it <clears throat> you know it brings to mind how Bishop started out because he really was kind of a Terminator figure, right? Indeed. Comes back in time mm-hmm. to- um, Literally, yes, indeed. And um, and here we go, talking about the computer thing where she's got this acupuncture pressure point to reboot her system. <laughs> to reboot, ter- turn stage on and off. <laughs> to turn her on and off, um, which which a thing we never saw in extreme, but it, no. it's like such a nice shorthand to like demonstrate, oh, okay, this, this is how she works. That, that's what it is. Oh, also the forgot I've left out the issue titles, but um 139 is titled Shattered appropriately, which they mm-hmm. wait until the last page when we <laughs> find her shattered you. to show that yeah. title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love when they do that. Uh second one mm-hmm. is titled After the Ark, Murder at the Mansion. And then the mm-hmm. final one, uh, Who Done It, which I love how uh the letter, I think it's still Iliopolis, did it with mm-hmm. the fingerprint as the O here. Indeed. Um, and I, I think we should mention too. At, at the conclusion of the the second part, Sage runs into some creepy sack things hanging in the ceiling. Um, they look very creepy, but we'll find <clears throat> out what they are soon enough. <clears throat> and I was it that issue where Bishop or was it this issue where Bishop mentioned something? You know, it smells like the brine, or it smells like the seas after the tide comes in, which. It, I just think it's a nice shorthand to establish atmosphere. Like I, I don't think characters in comics mention those kinds of things often enough, which mm-hmm. makes sense because it, I think it would be a weird dialogue choice to do that. Like often, like oh, this smells like this, but it's just a nice way to establish setting an atmosphere in a way that makes sense in that context. Another cool thing I just noticed is that Jimenez draws Bishop using a regular real world firearm here, right? He's just holding mm-hmm. a regular pistol. It's not some mm-hmm. like sci-fi futuristic sci-fi gun. laser thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is won't be a I don't think will be appropriate in this situation. So right. it, it it's works, a good stylistic it, choice. It is also kind of funny when you think about it because 
Bishop keeps pulling out all these different. I remember when we get to Extreme X Men, he's got all these different sci fi guns. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. remember you having all those on you when you went back in time. So, where did they all come from? Tony Stark. I, don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he could get them somewhere. There's probably a store in New York City where <laughs> they sell such things. <clears throat> uh, poor Beak. I, I was never convinced of him as a murderer. I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm like, no, you didn't do it. You just no, yeah, just didn't. No, no. Um, another continuity reference, right? The shack Wolverine built one a few years ago, recovering up there after one of his lost winters. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming. I'm assuming Which that's from when he. I assume that's the one when he went um, when he went feral and he lost mm. his nose. Strangely enough, sure, but we'll go for it. I feel like he's had several lost winters. It could he be, has. It yeah, could be any one of them. That was just the one that first occurred to me when I read that panel. Mm. Um, and here, when Gene starts to put it together, it's kind of funny that it's not it's not the mutant detectives who figure it out, but ultimately uh, Gene kind of figures out the, what's really happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming probably with not much effort. Either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a nice thing. Like, I think this is like the third time beast mentioned that he, um, he was watching Orfeo. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you know, I'm not familiar with opera in general, not let alone that specific one. I, I just wonder if like, does that opera mention a murder? Does it, does it bother murder? I think it has to have some sort of connection, like thematic mm. or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Morrison doesn't just throw deep cut references in like that without some sort of like at least some sort of like you know connection. Not mm-hmm. necessarily it you needed to understand the story, but some sort of like reference or something like that. There's usually something yeah. there. <clears throat> um, also, this. Um, this idea about Zorn saying like Angel and Beak are not killers, Charles. I know these children and trust in their goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and then mm-hmm. this, it's very, very foreshadowing, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes even the best people will do terrible things to protect their secrets. Mm-hmm. Very, very foreshadowing, especially with the way Zorn's just written there, drawn there, just kind of like only half in panel. I really thought that was a good juxtaposition. It's just it's a, it's really interesting how artists play with Zorn's design. Mm-hmm. I mean, because on its like on its face, when you look at it, it's a mask, like it it shouldn't be expressive, and right. or, or at least it should only have a single expression. Like it, it's not an organic thing that moves, like it's static. Right. But you know, it, it's interesting how artists play with it. Like you know, quietly manages to wring out a lot of emotions out of it. He manages sort of here draws out a lot of um making him look threatening and concerned mm-hmm. so it's just interesting yeah and it's i mean you got to find ways to do that uh, mm-hmm. that you can't do that in 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 film in film like you know you can have the characters emote in other ways like when they're mm-hmm. their you know their tone of voice or anything like that but in comics you really need to do it all visually so it it's really it's really cool to find ways to see how the artists find ways to do that. And it's probably us reading it to kind of helping in the process because mm-hmm. I feel like we want him to do that. So I feel like our brain's pulling in a lot of things that enable that kind of dynamic thing. Um, and then we finally find out what the X-Hacks are, which is Angel and Beak's children, which only has a five, I believe five days, a five day 
gestation period, I yeah, believe he says. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm not, do we really see these kids much more after, after Morrison leaves? We do actually. Okay. We, we see them in an issue of New Mutants in the current era. Um, and they, uh, they moved to Krakoa where they are living right now. Okay. Cause I do remember that they, when after House of M and, and the decimation that, um, Angel and Beak lost their powers and they joined that new warriors team that was formed after the after civil war and i don't remember i only read a few issues of it but i don't remember there being much mention of their kids in that i'm not sure though um i mean we do when we see them much more recently they do have their so i did not read new warriors does does that mean beak did not look like a bird person no he just looked like a regular guy um i can't look up he was um he had joined the new warriors he had just looked like a regular yeah he just became a regular person um i think he trying to look up the information here uh but yeah he was in the new warriors as um tempest was his name there okay um so i assume he oh and also uh no tempest was was angel he was blackwing Mm. and i assume there's some kind of technology augmented yeah, it's basically he, he looks very much like um uh what's his name? Very much like Nighthawk, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um interesting. Here we go. If you can see here, here's the image of him. What? What yeah, I'm yeah. So, what? And well, this was him. <laughs> and so I'm, he's... Not, I'm just taking it back ever because I mean he looked he worked he went to the gym and he worked out. And okay, so so that happened. All right, okay. And then he got his oh. back. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Um, how long did this last? Should I read it? Do you recommend it? Um, I only read a few issues of it, and it was years ago. But mm-hmm. I remember it being. I thought the and Jubilee was in it too. She was like the co-leader of the team. Mm-hmm. The main thing is like I didn't like that it was so that they used all these depowered mutant characters because I thought one of the one of the cool things I liked about the classic new warriors is that it pulled from all these different corners yeah, of yeah. the Marvel universe where mm-hmm. that series really didn't. It was just, yeah, you had, um, you had night thrasher and a few others, but mostly it was all these depowered mutants. And I remember being kind of disappointed with that, hmm. Interesting. Um, but it was <clears throat> Kevin, I think it was Kevin Graveau wrote it. I think he did the underworld movies. Oh, right. Yes. He was uh, one of the werewolves in that movie. And I think he was also a writer on it too, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it was okay. Uh, but just, if you're a classic New Warriors fan, it might be a little bit disappointing in terms of the, <laughs> the membership. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it was it was okay from what I remember. Although I'd have, I do want to go back and reread it at some point. I think it's all been collected. I'm sure. <clears throat> and then we have <clears throat> Gene fusing Emma back together. Um, which is is a lovely, it's kind of a, a tacit endorsement. It's interesting where she's like, you know, Scott needs you, which right. I think is kind of an acknowledgement of like, yeah, the, the gig's up and this, my relationship with my husband is, is, is not going to end well. And it's probably time to face facts. Which is kind of disappointing that 
I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, that Jean mm-hmm. dies in the end here, because even though we do get her endorsement of Scott moving on, both mm-hmm. in here in a very subtle way, but also at the end of Here Comes Tomorrow, when she sends that message through time, you mm-hmm. know, live Scott. And even though we do we do get that, I do think it would have been really interesting if I think also if Morrison had continued their run, because I think if, mm-hmm. if someone else had come, if Gene was still alive and then you had someone else come on after Morrison, I think the first thing they would have done is probably killed Emma or written off the relationship or something. Right. Um, well, it only took like 10 years or so, but they eventually got there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it also would have been interesting to see that interaction maybe not going that way like how like how would they interact with emma in the picture Mm -hmm. um with gene still running around um and i think for the longest part of her history gene has been with scott more than she hasn't i think so too yeah i don't think there's the only time point in time where she wasn't no the only time she hasn't been with scott is when he wasn't around right right? when he physically wasn't around like when Mm -hmm. um or when she was when she was a teenager when like when the original five came into the future but like when she um the only time when she when uh claremont was writing her after uh the 12 storyline you know she was not with scott but there was no movement in any of those situations either after the 12 or after the the resurrection of Jean Grey when she comes back to life and she starts X-Men Red and all that we never see her have like any sort of romantic interests really towards anyone else the only time we ever get that happen is ironically enough when Claremont did X-Men Forever because then she you know I think that was the only time we see them broken up and they're both still alive um yeah and i don't know like this might be another cancelable offense but like it's just so baked into her character that Mm -hmm. i feel like writers have a hard time disentangling that from her but i i I really want to see what gene is like without that having played such a big part of her character and I think it'd also be interesting to explore the concept of a divorced couple who still have mm-hmm. to work together and still have to be right. in each other's lives. Because so mm-hmm. often the impression is when you get a divorce, you're going to, you and the other person are then kind of like enemies for life unless you unless you have a kid together or something. And it doesn't always happen that way. Right. Um, I don't like it. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see, dare I say, like a more... <laughs> mature take on it like how like what 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 happens when this all-important relationship in your life collapses and and you have to move on from it right right well one thing i think of is have you watched uh the superman and lois tv show Mm -mm. it it's really good but one of the cool things about it is the friendship between lois lane and lana lang because Mm. you know lana and clark dated in in high school and now mm-hmm. Clark has moved back to Smallville with his family. So you see Lois and Lana interacting in a way that's that they're that they become friends. And it's really cool to see that kind of relationship where, yeah, we both have been with the same guy, but that isn't the only thing that defines us. 
Yeah, and although I think we, I mean, what we get for, of of that instead, I feel like is um, when Claremont came back to Uncanny for that stint of issues, um, and it's sort of this set, and and I feel like Rachel becomes like the Gene surrogate, who's like maybe surrogate's not, the Gene stand-in, who's like. Well, I guess this Emma Scott thing is here to stay and it's editorially mandated and we're just going to live with it. But, you know, I'm going to be very snippy and extremely unhappy about it. And I, yeah, I did point not like it out that. at every turn. I did not like that. That part of the I did not like that at all. I thought that was very it was very childish. Mm. Uh, and Although no, but but to be fair, I feel like he did like write in some development. I, I, one of my favorite is, issues of that run is when she and Rachel had to team up. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were fighting Celine in Hong Kong, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, we get another instance of Esme here using the the reboot, this emergency shutdown on Sage. Yeah. Um, and, and I think she can, and you mentioned earlier, like how she's able to affect Bishop, but that's because she's taking kick, right? Right. She's, yeah. She's on kick. That's what she, she overpowers. Um, that's mm-hmm. how she overpowers the other cuckoos as well. Right. Uh, and interesting link to the last story arc. We also find out that she killed Sophie. She was mm-hmm. responsible for steering her in that direction. Um, and there's someone else she's working with. Um, now, back at the time, if I'm not sure if you can remember, did you have any idea or any inklings of who this someone bigger might be? Well, I feel like we should have known because she gets into a taxi being driven by, by the way, yeah. nobody. Um, but at that point, it's sort of like, well, that could be any number of big bads, right? Like there's there's a lot of power sets that would enable you to drive a taxi. But See, um, I just thought when the time I read it, I thought that was like, maybe she has some telekinesis or something. Oh, Mm, maybe yeah I but no you're that. right but you're right yeah, it, but it, it actually makes more sense because that it's magneto doing it mm-hmm. well i mean but, but she did i guess yeah she referred to like meeting somebody but i mean i can see that you know she's she's manipulating the taxi but to me it was more like hmm, like there's not enough data here to speculate this could be any number of dastardly characters who well we also yeah we also know that um the assailant is at least six feet two possibly taller Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is also interesting because zord has always been drawn taller pretty tall in 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 these group shots here although if it was today i probably would have oh let's google it which x-men supervillain is six two and matches these dimensions who who could it be but it's also um, it's also a classic, you know, the classic red herring in a murder mystery because Scott's mm-hmm. also pretty tall too. So you know mm-hmm. this this last panel with Bishop saying, "Now where the hell is Scott Summers?" Mm-hmm. Which is not picked up; it's just kind of dropped. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, because then bigger stuff happens going forward from here. But I still yep. thought that would have been um, that was an interesting little cliffhanger there. I mean, and, and we find out immediately, right? Because yeah. the next arc is focusing on where where did scott go yep yep assault on, on weapons plus. Mm-hmm. all right so uh that brings us to the end of murder at the mansion uh any other things you want to say about this arc um I, I guess for an emma frost fan i feel like this is one of those seminal arcs particularly issue 139 it's like a, a key foundational issue for her character i think mm-hmm. it's like you're at all interested in what she's about like that's an issue that 
can't be missed. Like it established a lot of the trappings and um, is I think the definitive origin story for her. And it does a lot of work and not a lot of pages, I feel like to give her more depth beyond sort of this notion of, oh, she's the dominatrix ice queen who's mm. manipulative and Machiavellian. And it, it, like you, it really shows how she became that way in a very compelling and interesting way. Yeah, it was really good use of both Jean and Emma and playing with what you'd expect from their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way Bishop and Sage were used here. I wish we saw more of this portrayal of the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, even even now, it'd be still cool to see see that happen. Right? I, I just, and, and I feel like she's doing more, not to this extent. Like I, I don't think we've ever seen her function, like almost robotic in mm-hmm. the story arc. But yeah. Um, and I also just want to say, like in in one thirty nine, going along with like expectations or broken expectations, I really like how. Even though the, I think the conclusion of that confrontation it was a foregone conclusion how it was going to go, I, I feel like Morrison wrote it in such a way that both of them got their kicks in. Mm-hmm. Right? So even though Emma had had to do things she didn't want to do, I think Jean also had to confront some things that she was not willing to accept. Absolutely, yeah. And... Yeah, just great use of both those characters and weaving in their histories in subtle mm-hmm. ways that don't like if this was published, you know, even three years earlier, you'd see footnotes all over the place. This year. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the, the of course, the, the the mainstay, like see issues, mm-hmm. da, 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 right? Yeah. So I did like that. I, I know that they've gotten back to doing that, which. On the one hand, it's 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 cool to see when things are referenced. On the other mm-hmm. hand, I do kind of like the the Easter egg feel where it's just like you're like, oh, I I see what they're doing. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like I like I think it was not too long after this when they had done the middle ground where they put like a they put like a reference page at the back of the issue. And I think that's really the best way to do it. So it doesn't interfere with the story, but you can still go back and reference things if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we should also point out that this arc really develops a lot of the new characters, the kids mm-hmm. that Morrison introduced. So, I mean, Beacon Angel have a family now, um, and it turns out that Esme is um, far more like Emma than she previously realized mm-hmm. before. Despite all her protestations to the Yeah, opposite. except right, like, I'm nothing like you. Well, actually, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's a good arc, and it's a nice kind of like old-school murder mystery, too. Yeah, I like the I way think... that Morrison did a really good job of working in those those conventions and those expectations of like an Agatha Christie mystery into mm-hmm. a superhero story very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was willing even to accept that we're, we're just going to disregard Generation X because we the victim needed to be like you know, oh well, nobody liked her, so therefore everybody is a suspect in this mm. in this murder mystery. And yeah, it's a nice palate cleanser, I think, before we get to the last three arcs, which feel very, I think, propelled is the right word. It's yeah. just all boom, boom, boom. Uh, so it's a nice sort of um, 
not sure if calm is the right word, but like it's a nice slower paced arc before we get to the last three, which is just nonstop forward movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so that about does it for our discussion of Murder at the Mansion. Uh, Pat, you want to tell people where they can find you? Um, since it's uh, such an Emma-centric issue, if, if you need more of that content in your life, there's a House of Frost uh, Facebook group that I manage, so check that out. Um, I'm also on another X-Men themed podcast, Grakoan Exports, where we talk about the current era of X-Books. Um, and then this week, we are recording our part one of Ten of Swords episode. So look out for that, which is, uh, if you don't know, like the big, I think the first big crossover of the Krakoan era. Yeah, yeah. And um, my stuff, you can find it at percivalconstantine.com. That gives you links to, to all my books, my artwork, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my other podcast, Superhero Cinephiles, uh, superherocinephiles.com, where we talk about, me and a different guest talk about a different superhero movie every episode um we're gearing up for a bunch of interesting ones coming up uh it's uh some movies that i, I hated at first and <laughs> and had some uh interesting opinions re-watching them so we talked about iron man 3 in upcoming episodes uh spider-man 3 man of steel and uh and the justice league of america pilot which i still hated <laughs> but we had fun talking about that one too and leading up to the big hundredth episode with talking about End avengers endgame so uh, you can listen to that, superherocinephiles.com. And this show, you can find us at anchor.fm slash e for evolution And we're Morrison X Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk with you next time when we discuss, hopefully Oscar will be back and we'll talk about Assault on Weapon Plus. e for evolution examining Grant Morrison's X-Men is produced by Percival Constantine with theme music by Aaron Kenny. Audio of Grant Morrison and Stan Lee was recorded at San Diego Comic-Con 2008 and provided by bravogabo.livejournal.com. You can find e for evolution on Twitter and Instagram at MorrisonXPod and on the web at eforevolution.transistor.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email address is eforevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. Support the show by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts, which helps us reach more listeners. Special thanks to the members of the House of X Facebook group for their encouragement in getting this show started. Mm -hmm.